This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, this is Dan Lust, and you're listening to the Steeler Nation podcast. Hello, Steeler Nation, and welcome to your SteelerNation.com podcast and first ever SteelerNation.com vidcast. So this is the first for us, and we're having some fun. And today I am joined by nationally renowned sports attorney Dan Lust. And you may have heard him on Fox Sports Radio, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM, and CBS Radio. Welcome, Dan. Dan, it's a pleasure to have you. And where do you currently live and work? Greg, I am uh, I am in New York. Definitely don't hold that against me. Um, and <laughs> Not at all. For people watching live, I have I have my black and yellow on here. So uh, I'm in support of Steel Nation podcast. Uh, I work uh, in New York, just outside the city, but my uh, job kind of takes me all over the place. So I, um, you know, I, I love talking about sports. I love going to the radio and analyzing it. Uh, my day to day, I'm a civil defense attorney. So uh, when it comes to like we're going to talk about it today teams possibly getting hit with lawsuits or fans possibly suing. Uh, that's yeah. the world that I live in. Um, so I'm happy to, to kind of break, break that all down. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Excellent. That's because that's the type of things that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, because uh, before we get into that too, I just wanted to give our fans a little bit of a background on you itself. And I know that you used to work with the New York Giants organization and PR. Can you let Steeler Nation know kind of like what your role was there and what you did for them? Again, um, don't hold it against me. Not at all. Uh, I, I, <laughs> um, so I, I worked for the New York Giants uh, Public Relations Department over uh, about four, four, four or five seasons. Uh, and, you know, essentially uh, the role was to be a liaison between the players and the media. As you can imagine, there is a you know, number of different beat writers that cover the team, you know, for, from different publications. Yeah. Uh, some players uh, are going to uh, like certain media members. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes you have to be mindful of players giving too much access to, uh, you know, just the media in general. So, you know, it's a, it's, it was a great job. I did it during, during college, during law school, um, at the height of the Giants run. Uh, so it was a tremendous, tremendous experience. Uh, and, you know, like, like, uh, the New York Giants, the Steelers are a first class organization. So I imagine, uh, you know, it probably would have been the same for the Steelers but PR as well. That's great. They're family run as well, correct? Family run as well. That's and and there is obviously ties between the the Mara and Rudy Rudy families. Yes, the the two royalty families made sure to keep their uh, their 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 fiefdoms intact by <laughs> sealing it with marriage. <laughs> so that's, it's like the, the the Game of Thrones of football. It is. It really, you know what? I got one for you. The the Game of the Red Zone. How about that? There you go. Take it. We're going to start that. We're going to roll with that one. Um, so getting into, obviously, as a fan, and we are all uh, really, really in tune with what's going on in sports and really, you know, excited and worried at the same time at the, for, at the ability for a new season to even occur. So at least from a COVID-19 perspective, uh, I know that safety is an issue. We do know that 
there are leagues that are starting to come back into working and the first one being the UFC, which came back in May 9th or May, 10th, May 9th, I believe, or May 10th. And um, can you talk to us about what the contract was for the UFC and how they were able to get their league going? Sure. Um, so I, I think probably uh, one probably initial note, the UFC obviously came back, but before that we had the WWE, which is, uh, you know, it's, if we're going to call UFC a sport, WWE is pretty you know, yeah. close in that same realm with the, with the amount of type of talent. Um, the way that those sports can come back, it's a little bit different uh, than what we're dealing with, uh, you know, for the four major sports. There are, are no unions for, for the UFC, no, no unions for the WWE. So those guys can come back um, to the extent that the, the guys running the ship, either it be Vince McMahon or Dana White, want it to come back. Yeah. Um, for, the, for the UFC, what they said is in order to fight uh, at, at, their, at their show, they wanted you to sign a, a COVID-19 waiver which, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, it said if you got COVID-19, it wasn't UFC's fault. They weren't going to be held liable for, for you infecting, uh, being infected with COVID-19. And you assumed some of those risks by fighting. And it didn't force anyone to fight. It, it, it simply allowed guys to not sign the waiver, but then they wouldn't, you know, be allowed in the card that night. Um, so that's the, in the law, something that we call assumption of the risk. Uh, it's, when you sign a waiver, it's kind of asking you to assume some risk. Um, and, uh, you know, that's how the UFC came back and said, if you don't want to fight, you don't have to, and you don't have to sign this waiver. Yeah. The problem, Greg, you know, when we start talking about the four major sports, um, you, it's a little bit trickier to just drop someone out of a card, right? You, you drop a quarterback off a team, you drop the starting pitcher out of the out of rotation. Yeah. It's a very different team construct. Whereas if you just drop one fighter out, nothing really changes. Yeah. And that's a really great point too. Um, also, the way that the contract appears to have been written, um, they obviously had to give up some, you know, liability when it comes to getting sick or getting their family sick. Uh, I believe that was part of the, um, you know, the disparagement clause within the contract for the USC, as well as uh, waiving rights uh, for their spouses and families and friends that they live with. Um, can you talk to us and explain it better than I can, <laughs> at least what it means, the, disparag the disparagement clause, as well as the waiver? Sure. So, uh, you know, there, there are two separate clauses. Um, one, the, the one that uh, you're, you're bringing up here is an anti-disparagement clause, which yes. um, it was revised, obviously, this time around. The UFC will say that they have anti-disparagement anti clauses in, in their previous contracts, but obviously the language was rewritten. Uh, because they never had to deal with COVID-19 before. So um, you couldn't speak poorly about the company with respect to their health and safety protocol. And obviously that pertains to COVID-19. So what would that relate to, right? Uh, maybe testing, uh, maybe lack of testing, uh, comments, comments, uh, you know, in, in that realm. Um, to the extent that you spoke negatively about the company, uh, they had the right to take away uh, your, your fighter's purse for that night or any kind of, you know, fight of the night bonuses, anything like that. Wow. Um, so, you know, the UFC will say that that's in all of their contracts, but, you know, in a, in a time like this where all eyes are on the UFC, it's obviously going to get a lot more attention. Uh, and then, you know, when you combine that with what we talked about already, Greg, you know, the, uh, these waivers, you know, some would argue that these contracts might be a, a little bit one-sided. But, you know, if I'm the UFC's attorney here, what I would argue is, you know what, to the extent that you don't want to fight, you don't have to sign these contracts. And now if I'm a UFC fighter, I would say, well, how am I going to get paid if I don't sign the contract? So um, you can you can make both both arguments here. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not you know uh, I'm not here to kind of say which one's right, but you know, at the end of the day, um, and as I'm sure we'll get into, 
these leagues, these teams, it's their obligation to provide a reasonably safe venue for their athletes, for their fans, for coaches, for employees. No one's going to be able to provide a perfectly safe venue. And that's never been the law, right? You can always get hit with the foul ball or flying puck. Um, yeah. That's never, never someone's obligation. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's their jobs to do what's reasonably safe under, um, you know, under what's going on. And when it comes to the UFC and the WWE, for better or worse, those guys have now set the table, so to speak, for what is considered reasonable. So even if you're not a UFC fan, you kind of have to be watching this to see, to see what the fan experience is going to be like and, and what it's going to be like for players. And that's why I was really excited because I am a sports fan. I do love the UFC as well. So I was very, very excited when it did return just a few short weeks ago and got to watch that entire – the first match. I, I thought it was an excellent product that they were able to put on considering the circumstances that they had to, to put through. I mean, I've been showing you some footage here as we've been going along, as you've been talking and, and showing uh, Steeler Nation as we're going along here. But it, it is um, – it, it's interesting to watch a fight with, you know, everyone's taking the precautions with the mask, as you can see. The, the fighters uh, obviously are not masked, and it's really impossible to fight with a mask. But it, it had an odd, eerie feeling having no – no one in the crowd. So when you'd have those big introductions, you wouldn't hear that big fan reaction or the booze or anything. Cause as you can see in the seats behind when they, they have the lighting effects and everything, no <laughs> one's in the crowd. So this is kind of like the new normal that we're going to be sharing moving forward. And I, and I, I understand too, like when we're looking at everyone here working, like everyone that's in a mask, everybody in the corners, uh, the officials on site, the announcers, do they also have to sign waivers for uh, COVID-19 exposure? I mean, you know, here's the, the truth is this. I mean, it's not a, you know, UFC is not a, a company where we're going to see everything behind the scenes. So I know there were some reports that uh, media had to sign this thing as well. I mean, and short, short of someone in the media actually confirming that, uh, we don't know. I mean, um, but I would imagine that's part and parcel of the game. I mean, Greg, you mentioned it, uh, that, that part of these contracts pertain to the fighters' family members and who they you know, could, could, could come in contact with later and what they could say. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a tough, uh, you know, we'll say a tough, uh, a tough thing to enforce. Um, but you can imagine, Greg, if you were a famous UFC fighter, let's say you couldn't speak poorly about the UFC and then your wife was speaking poorly about it, um, you know, that probably still has the same impact. I mean... I'm uh, just switching sports for a second. I remember uh, this past couple of weeks, I've been watching The Last Dance and Scotty Pippen got a lot of, uh, we'll say, attention for not the greatest contract in the world. Um, yeah. And then Scotty, Scotty didn't really say anything, but Scotty's wife said, you know, Scotty's, Scotty's doing just fine. So um, I, I do understand the logic behind inserting uh, relatives and having them in the contract. But um, at a certain point, I mean, this contract can't apply to every single person that's in your potential circle. So We'll, we'll see if someone uh, in the next couple of weeks, months, uh, wants to test the enforceability uh, of those clauses, but that's what they're dealing with right now. Okay, great. And looking forward then with the um, – so, so was there anything specific about the UFC contract which allowed them to start before any other sport? And same thing with the WWE because you mentioned the WWE did start first, and it's mostly – from what I'm starting to see is because they don't really have a player's union or a, so it's much easier to pass things when it's pretty much like you said earlier, do as we say, or you don't get to fight. 
Right. I mean, it's you're asking what's in the contract that allowed them to proceed. It's really what's not in the contract that's allowing them to proceed because uh, there is no union, right? Every fighter is kind of on their own, so to speak. Um, you know, in the four major sports, um, that's, you know, the unions have power. Obviously, baseball is probably regarded as being the strongest because if you don't do something that the players agree with, uh, A, you could always stage a lockout, which is sort of a strike. Um, but, you know, um, you, you have the kind of the power of, of, of the union and uh, there is a collectively bargained agreement for in, in the four major sports. Um, UFC doesn't have that. WWE doesn't have that. Um, WWE actually, you know, just for a brief period of having delayed taping, they never really stop. Um, and that's the, the luxury you have uh, being a private company and well, WWE is public, but I mean private with respect to, uh, you know, you don't, you don't have to have the wrestlers have a say. So just one kind of, we'll say breadcrumb uh, that I think has to still be fleshed out in all of sports, uh, just going into the WWE context in particular. And we can, there's obviously a lot of examples of sports, but um, just because they're going right now, there's a guy, whoever's familiar with wrestling, Roman Reigns is a, is a cousin of the Rocks. He's one of their, their big guys. Previously diagnosed with leukemia earlier in his life. He has young children. Uh, and Roman Reigns was supposed to be one of the headliners of WrestleMania, supposed to fight of all guys. I know people will know this name, uh, Bill Goldberg. Uh, and, uh, Roman Reigns just said he wasn't comfortable fighting because of uh, wrestling, because of COVID-19, young children, leukemia, a combination of factors. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what, what happened to Roman Reigns? He just dropped out of the show. He hasn't been seen on TV since. Um, now, again, that might work for wrestling. You can, you can schedule around to somebody dropping out. But yeah. when it comes to, you know, team sports, it's a little bit different. When it comes to a sport with a contract that runs for a certain amount of years, you're paid a certain amount each year. Yeah. Um, there's a sal- there's salary cap, um, salary cap ramifications. That's the part that's going to get worked out. And especially when you have stars like, you know, James Harden, who has some pre-existing issues, Mike Trout, whose who's voice concerns, uh, that's the real concern across the sports landscape. Now, another interesting thing about WWE that I, I just remembered is not only are, since they were able to keep continuing, one of the moves that they made to make sure they could continue was political and it seemed like they got their sport listed as an essential business to continue to work so how fair is that that they were be able to be listed as an essential business and how politically does that happen so quickly that they were able to be named as an essential business so let's just i'm playing devil's advocate because obviously i don't think it's a controversial question i mean if, okay. if you're trying to figure out what's essential it's you know, maybe hospitals, maybe law enforcement, maybe uh, electric companies. Uh, wrestling is probably not in the top five, <laughs> top 10, maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the argument, uh, so I, you know, obviously uh, that's, I don't think there's anything controversial, but when it comes to Florida, um, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis made the decision, she's one of the first states to do it, I imagine. Um, more states are going to follow through with that. Um, but uh, what he said, and, and you can kind of understand the logic of it, not necessarily that I agree with it, but I understand it, that um, what is essential to a particular state is the economy. Uh, and to the extent that professional sports can come play in a bubble, be it in Florida, which you know NBA is looking at doing right now in, in Orlando because of Ron DeSantis' order, um, I can understand how allowing the NBA and all the players to move down into a bubble in the state of Florida how that would be essential for the economy. I could see that. Um, so the WWE, uh, whether they were behind it or DeSantis just did it separately because obviously he's in talks with NASCAR. The, the UFC event was held in Florida. Um, you know, a combination of those factors allowed Florida to kind of become a, a very attractive host site for a lot of sports. Um, so was it politically motivated wrestling being declared essential business? I mean, 
you can make the argument, but if you're going to say that, you know, the NBA is essential, uh, and I'm sure everyone's very happy that the NBA is moving closer to return, largely because Orlando and, the, and you know, Walt Disney World is offering up its space, um, that's because of Ron DeSantis' decision at the end of the day. And now we are moving toward team sports opening. So I know internationally, May 10th, we had team sports return in Germany with the Bundesliga reopening that day. Is there something different that they're doing in Germany that they're able to open up a little earlier? I mean, it's, I guess uh, at the end of the day, right, it, it comes down to the states actually, how, or the, the countries, how they're impacted by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we can talk about Germany even before that. You know, for the past couple of months, we've had professional baseball being played in Taiwan. Why is that? It's not because of anything they're doing in particular with baseball. They're not wearing masks. That's optional. Yeah. Uh, they just had better preemptive defense when it came to the disease. They were, you know, either aware of it ahead of time, they had masks ahead of time, whatever they did, um, that just allowed them a lane to operate. So, you know, when it comes to Germany, obviously, you know, uh, the United States overall is one of the leaders in a, in a, in a bad way on the uh, on the pandemic front in terms of uh, the amount of uh, exposures, amount of positive tests. Um, so we're a little bit behind the eight ball uh, in that sense. But, you know, um, in a kind of, we'll say, silver lining, United States has the ability to kind of sit back from a liability perspective and see how these leagues uh, and teams across the country, across the world, um, are, are dealing with it ahead of time. So they're not going to be, you know, say the guinea pig in this, you know, COVID situation. And are are you familiar at least with the Bundesliga? Are they doing it in just a few cities or they have they opened it up pretty much the whole country? So my understanding is that they're playing in empty arenas, uh, that uh, it's the same type of situation. There's no fans. Uh, the one uh, you know piece of interesting note that came across my my feed. Uh, so the Bundesliga is not allowing obviously fans in the stadiums. That's that's you know um, I think only uh, restricted to uh, I think Taiwan's doing. I think Korea might be doing it soon, but it's not happening in Germany yet. Uh, but what they are not allowing, which just be mindful for Steeler Nation, uh, the Bundesliga is not allowing fans to congregate outside the stadium either. Um, you could imagine for football games. Maybe you're not allowed in, but maybe you had a thought that you'd like to tailgate outside and you yeah. know, just sit in the parking lot. Um, the Bundesliga started hearing reports that fans uh, were going to try to, you know, celebrate outside with, uh, with other people. And the, the actually the German government made an announcement that the police would be ready to uh, enforce these rules that fans would not be allowed to be outside. So you can imagine when it when it comes to football. Um, you know, I'm, I'm seeing the same stuff. I'm sure everyone of, on your, uh, that's listening now, these different uh, protests at gyms across the country uh, and different public gatherings. Now, imagine if there is a football game played in an empty stadium anywhere in this country. Uh, <laughs> it's almost a virtual certainty that people will try to show up. Yes. Uh, and imagine uh, the police being called on, on your own fans. It's just that's the, that's the reality that the Bundesliga is dealing with right now and, and one that I don't think is so far-fetched here domestically. Yeah, and I think that compares, like you're saying, more apples to apples for football. But at least as a football enthusiast, I looking at the Bundesliga, seeing that they're able to operate successfully thus far for the past three weeks. And it gives me, as a, as a football fan, hope that I'm going to see some football this year. I also know that the NHL has just announced a 2014 format. Uh, came out last night where they're, they're trying to determine on two host cities to play this the playoffs essentially they've got um 16 teams playing in and then they play into the four teams on each side that have a bye um how does this work then for the has the nflpa or the nhlpa 
agreed to this yet, or is this still the NHL's proposal? Um, so for uh, Steeler Nation, I'm sure there's a lot of crossover with uh, Penguins Nation. Is that what we're called? A lot of Penguins um, fans here. So, yeah, the NHLPA, uh, the news was on Friday that the NHLPA uh, agreed to a 2014 playoff. Um, so it wasn't necessarily set in stone that it would happen, but they agreed to it in principle. Uh, the news yesterday was that the NHL signed off on it. So we now know, um, you know, don't, not every, don't everyone get ready and get ready to, to go to the game. There's still a lot of hurdles to, to get, get through. But we now know uh, at a minimum if, if and when the NHL returns, it will be in a 24 uh, playoff system. Um, you know, there's a lot to break down in terms of how the NHL draft lottery is going to be affected, among other things. Um, but what you do have to keep in mind is that it's only one of several hurdles. And Greg, as you pointed out, they still haven't figured out where these games are going to be played, if they're going to be played in um, any one of a uh, number of hub cities they're considering. Some, mind you, are in Canada, which is, which is still dealing with uh, different governmental restrictions for travel. Yeah. Um, and the other part of it, the really tough one, and probably, you know, I imagine no easy answers as we're talking about now is an agreed-upon health and safety protocol uh, for return. So uh, I imagine venues are going to be easier than health and safety protocol, but you're still going to have, at the end of the day, health and safety protocol discussions, and then obviously um, the, the financial conversation as to how much you know, uh, do I need to be paid to take on the risk of playing hockey. Um, so uh, definitely not an easy decision, but, but uh, there's a lot, a lot more hurdles to pass. So is this also going to be a condition if they're playing in two host cities, is this going to be, you know, an instance where NHL players are essentially being deployed for a month to two months away from their families, not able to come back? Is it supposed to be like an isolation type return? That's my understanding. Um, you know, I don't, uh, the, I'm not sure if this is the NHL, but I know the MLB uh, and NBA were, were both having a conversation about whether or not to put uh, families in this bubble in some way so that the players wouldn't be away from their families for an extended period of time. Um, but I think that's the, the general understanding is that for the duration of the Eastern Conference playoff on the one hand and the Western Conference, these two sites would be completely separate. Uh, and then, um, you know, just because at, at least in Canada right now, after you cross the border, you cross the border into Canada, you have to have a 14-day period of quarantine. So, you know, just, just think practically. If your team gets eliminated early, you probably can leave the bubble, just thinking logically. Um, but then at the end of the day, if you have to cross the border, you have to, one team has to go into a different bubble um, for the Stanley Cup finals, obviously East versus West. Um, you know, there's going to have to be a merging of the bubbles at some point. And now that they have a plan, at least for the NHL, it seems like the NBA would be a little bit more difficult to get together. So how much tougher is it, open, is it to open the NBA over the NHL? So the issues that I was mentioning in terms of health and safety protocol, uh, salary reductions, uh, venue, those are the same conversations between the NHL and NBA. So the NHL hasn't figured those three things out. They have figured out gameplay. From a, um, you know, when it comes to the NBA, you know, I've, I've been you know, trying to be vocal about this on, on Twitter. It's, it's a little difficult uh, for the NBA because for the NHL, what they basically did is they found a very clean cutoff point in the standings the top 24 teams just so happened greg to all be at or above 500 so nice. it made for a very easy break them and the bottom seven teams all below 500 so guess what if you were in 500 at this point you don't get to make the playoffs so you, you could buy that the problem in the nba if you just look at the schedule right now uh shockingly and i, I saw this yesterday 17 teams in the nba out of 30 are currently under 500 including some you know top eight seeds 
Wow. So if you were to if you were to cut off right, if you have a 2014 playoff in the NBA, which is on the table, which Commissioner um, Adam Silver sent a proposal to all 30 GMs. This is one of the concepts of play-in tournament. We'd have uh, you know nine versus 12, 10 versus 11, then you'd get into the bracket. But um, yeah. the problem is, you, you, Greg, even if you do that, where do you cut off the bottom six? I mean, they're all lottery teams. They're all like you know my my New York Knicks are going to be in the playoffs. And they'd have to potentially give up a spot in the lottery to get busted out in the first round. I mean, wow. uh, yeah. it's not, not, such a, not such an easy selling point. So I think, you know, when it comes to the NBA, they, you'd love if they could just copy what the NHL did and just yeah. move forward, but not as easy. So another aspect or league or organization that I think that would be even harder to open, which, you know, Steeler Nation has a lot of interest in college football, and that's the amateur sports of the NCAA. So are there any plans on the table currently for the NCAA to regain any type of uh, competition this upcoming year? So, you know, the, the short answer is yes. I mean, I mean, there are some plans in the works. The, the issue, uh, and, you know, we haven't spoken much about baseball, Greg, but the comments of Blake Snell have, have been, uh, Blake Snell, former Cy Young winner on the, uh, on the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah. Uh, his comments have got a lot of, uh, we'll say a lot of uh, public interest, but he said something interesting. He said, when you're a professional athlete, you know, the risk is through the roof and he doesn't want to be paid a reduced salary to come back and, and play baseball. Mm-hmm. Now, Greg, you asked me about college sports. Um, just, uh, I'm, I don't mean to pop quiz you here. You know how much college athletes are being paid to, uh, to play during COVID-19? That was great. I'm not sure how you knew the answer to that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Zero, zero dollars. So that's the, the PR look. You know, you can have these pros fighting over millions of dollars, but at the end of the day, it's a very tough sell to tell these athletes to pay uh, to play for, you know, to take on all the risk with such little reward. And then, Greg, mind you, for years, the reason that athletes got away without being paid um, is because they were given a free education on the other yeah. end of it. And that's that was always the bargain for exchange. That was how the NCAA got away with it. Correct. Um, but but school's not in session right now, right? You have these, these, uh, you know, these TV to be determined Zoom classes, which no one's in love with. So if you're going to suspend school uh, and there's not going to be classes, you can't really have a, a, you know, these football players masquerading around as pros when they're not getting paid anything. And that's interesting because it seems like all of the colleges are moving toward being the University of Phoenix, being online, and <laughs> but with this, but what you mentioned, what you you touched upon is I think this might be the instance where you actually get true traction for college athletes being able to be paid for competition because before, like you're saying, it, it's, you know, a fair exchange, getting a free education, free room and board, everything else for to play sports. But now you're risking your life and possibly the health of you and loved ones for attracting COVID-19. So I think that this might be an actual, you know, launching point for um, college players being played, and how do you feel uh, about that? You'd hope it's a launching point, uh, but there's been several launching points over the course of time, and yeah. nothing has really moved the needle. But you know, the the news before COVID nineteen hit, the, the obviously the image and likeness report had come out uh, several weeks ago. So there's progress being made, you know, but on a larger sports scale. Uh, the question is, you know, is it now too late for the NCA because there's already these pipelines for top talent, specifically in the college basketball landscape, to skip college basketball and go either play um, in Australia as two top pros did this year, and um, they're going to be top picks in, in draft. Uh, you know, it's RJ Hampton and Lamelo Ball. Nice. Um, but yeah. even this this most recent cycle, 
uh, four top players, instead of going to play in college, they're going straight to the NBA's G League to get paid low six figures. Um, and guess what? They're going to get paid at least something to deal with that risk. So um, that's just something to be mindful of. I know uh, Florida uh, has the earliest um, state legislation that's going to allow athletes to get paid. That's the summer of 2021. Um, so I think that's the loose deadline for the NCAA to figure it out. But, you know, obviously they have a lot of things on their hands right now to deal with the liability. So I imagine, uh, you know, paying athletes gets put on the back burner, so to speak. And once you're paying athletes, is it only for specific sports or is it going to be open for all NCAA sports? So you're not, you're not paying, uh, like the school is not going to pay athletes or anything like that. Um, what, what I've kind of described, I mean, at least what it looks like we're going to get. I mean, the, the other shoe is still to drop as to, uh, we just know what the recommendations look like. We know what fair pay to play uh, in California look like. Um, it's, if you want to call it this, it's kind of like an entrepreneurship license to the extent that you can make money off of your name, image, and likeness. You're given the ability to do so. Um, you know, uh, the NCA name, uh, this NCA report, these recommendations, they mentioned that uh, before they were formally adopted, that the NCA was going to look at guardrails to put in place to make sure these, you know, these uh, the amount of money you're making wouldn't get crazy or you wouldn't look like a professional athlete. So, you know, there's no word on it, but if someone ended up, if the NCA ended up instituting like a cap of how much money you could make for a given year, that wouldn't shock me. Um, so, yeah, no, no one is necessarily getting paid. Like if you're a, you know, a woman's swimmer, you could, you could, if you were an Olympian, right, you could still make probably more money than maybe like the backup offensive tackle, uh, you know, for the Pittsburgh Panthers. But like, yeah, okay. you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's still up in the air. But yeah, I, I do think that this does bring a lot of attention to the fact that for college to return, right? These athletes, these young kids are, are taking on the risk, even though statistics kind of bear out that if you're 20 years old, you're less likely to get it. You're still taking on risk and, and there's no financial reward. Yeah. And now that sports, you know, theoretically could return, the question has always been, will there be fans? Will there not be fans? So if fans are going to be part of this process, should fans expect having to sign a waiver to attend a game? Um, you know, I, I think what's kind of, uh, again, coming to the spotlight for years, we've attended games. Uh, I've attended my fair share of games. Um, if you ever look at the back of your physical ticket, you are waiving some rights and obligations. Just if you look at the back of your ticket, it'll, it'll say, I mean, it's really small, tiny print. You don't read it. Just like nobody reads the iTunes the descriptions <laughs> when you buy anything. No one reads them. But, you know, just like we're talking about getting hit in the head with a foul ball or a flying puck you're agreeing to certain, um, you know, uh, certain known risks that you, uh, you know, you're assuming the risk of certain things happening when it comes to COVID-19. We, you know, there's a question is what, whether you can assume risks that you don't know about. Um, and, and that's why, you know, historically um, it makes sense to have a waiver, to put that in writing, uh, to make the, to the font on the ticket a little bit bigger so people know what they're signing up for. Um, you know, but you guys uh, in Steeler Nation made some news recently with this, uh, the season uh, with the ticket and the, the seating plan that only selling out half of seats. So I'm, I'm, you guys are the first to do it. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that works out. And that's something I wanted to touch upon as well. Um, because over here on Steeler Nation, we have an article written by Beth Ruzanic, and she was looking for ways that the Steelers are looking to protect season ticket holders. I know they've moved back the date from May 1st deadline to June 1st deadline. And some teams are doing an option to skip the season and retain your tickets. So obviously, because a lot of people have lost their jobs, you can't work during this time as a fan. You still don't want to lose your, the season ticket uh, opportunity that your family's had in their family for generations in some 
some of these teams. And so they're saying they would credit money toward next year's costs currently, but how does it look for teams to be able to make this offer for fans to say, you can skip this year and we're not going to take away the rights to your season tickets or your PSLs. So, you know, I guess uh, I've said this and everyone can say, it. you know, you want to say it's the new normal, you want to say uncharted territory. Um, I think it's kind of just, it's takes creative problem solving. Just like you saw the NHL come to terms in this 2014 playoff. Um, obviously it's never been done before. So they had to make it up on their own when it comes to certain teams, right? Be it uh, the, you know, the Steelers have a very different ticket situation than we'll say the Los Angeles Chargers who don't have the same type of fan base, don't have the guaranteed, you know, season tickets. Probably yeah. you guys are closer to like, you know, Green Bay where it's, it's a, uh, we'll say standing room only. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. But um, you know, it, it, do I, I understand, I understand the logic of, trying to be able to defer season tickets for a year um, from if you're the fans. Um, and I understand if you're the teams trying to lock in as much guaranteed revenue as you can, because, um, yeah. you know, and, and I, I've been following this across all sports. Um, obviously, the, the salary caps in these, these four major sports are dependent on the amount of uh, revenue that each team brings in across the league. So um, I know Adam Schefter has been very vocal about it. Um, the NHL, or sorry, the, the NFL overall stands to lose you know, tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars from the lack of fans being in the stands and that gate revenue. Yeah. Um, and where that impact is felt is on the salary cap, which has not just impacts on, you know, us watching like the UFC with no fans in the stands. Who cares, right? I mean, I don't really care if I'm watching with fans or not fans, but I do care uh, if for athletes, all the salaries end up getting dropped out or if you know, some, some team has a hundred million committed in salaries. All of a sudden, if the salary cap drops to 75, what happens? Teams can't just be operating at a, at a loss for, and then we're, then we're in fear of the underpinning of the actual sport, the actual team. And then, you know, then we have to worry about, um, you know, the, the actual stability of the sport, which is a little scarier. So um, I do understand the logic. I think Greg, uh, there's one interesting note that, that we haven't touched upon, but uh, I know just in this uh, this world where teams are trying to mitigate the risk as best as, as possible, one option that's been discussed is removing certain seats from the stands uh, so that fans can have an easier ability to social distance. So, for example, if you had a row of eight seats, you would rem remove the two rows in front of you, the two rows behind you, and uh, we'll say a couple seats to the side. Yeah. Uh, and that's what's called lux seating. Um, just a, maybe a safer way to watch a game. Maybe, you know, let's, let's be a glass half full, more leg room. You don't have to have someone dropping beer uh, down, down your neck, right. which has happened to me before. Uh, um, yeah. But, you know, you have to keep in mind that if you do something like that, you have to leave yourself the wiggle room because if you have less seats, maybe you need to charge more for those seats to account for the revenue. So, again, um, I see it both ways. I understand the fans' perspective. I understand the team's perspective. But, you know, you, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't anger your fans, right? You can't bite your nose to spite your face. So uh, it's definitely an interesting battle to watch. So as a quick aside, since we, since the leagues would be losing money for the people coming into the stadiums now, does that give them more power to negotiate larger contracts for these television contracts, which seem to be the only seat in the house now? I mean, it depends whose perspective you're in. Does it give you more leverage? Sure. Um, if you are a television network, most of these deals are locked in for a number of years, yeah. right? If, if you are them, uh, the same like we're seeing in Major League Baseball right now, a deal was negotiated in Major League Baseball. I mean, just uh, from the Players Association's perspective, they took reductions on their contract, uh, and now they're 
you know, Major League Baseball, the owners want to come back to the table and renegotiate further reductions because they didn't take into account that there couldn't be fans. Um, so if you were a Fox, if you were an ABC, if you're any, any of the, you know, if you're TBS, any, any station with a major network, what are you going to say? Hey, we already came to terms on a deal. What right does it give you the ability to renegotiate it? Nothing has changed. We're, we're providing all the broadcasts. We're providing all of our employees. We're providing the trucks, all the cameras. We can do this. The fact that there are going to be more eyeballs on it, um, if I'm you know, a television network, I would say it doesn't give you the right to necessarily renegotiate it. Um, but, you know, there's obviously additional revenue, different ad space that can be bought. So you'd expect these teams and these leagues to make more revenue overall. But I know it's, it's unclear if it actually gives you the right to renegotiate these long-term terms, uh, which obviously, um, you know, it's good for, the, good for us to be able to watch it, but not, not necessarily great for the teams if all the money is being poured into television and nobody's actually coming to watch them. And now we've reached the point of the podcast slash vidcast where we have questions from Steeler Nation. So our Steeler Nation members jump on, log on, and they ask questions directly for our, for our, um, our, our participants here that within our podcast so we can ask you direct questions. So Dan, you're getting your first question from Slash Steel, and he says, I have tickets to the Hall of Fame game. How do you see that shaking out? Would he be able to watch the Hall of Fame game being the first preseason game played for the NFL season? Watch in, in person, I imagine he's saying, Yeah, right? he, he has tickets to watch it in person, correct. You know, I, I, I guess I, I think it's probably right around late August, right? I imagine that's when it is, somewhere right around there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. I'm just looking across the sports landscape and where are all these dates that leagues are talking about. I mean, you, you're seeing in, in the, you know, football doesn't have to, and fortunately for football, they don't have to have this conversation yet. They can watch the other three majors figure this out, and then football yeah. can jump in. But when it comes to just, you know, um, for, the, for the question, I know Commissioner Adam Silver in basketball has said that we are anticipating uh, potentially having no fans into the year 2021. Doesn't mean the entire year of 2021, but January, February, you can imagine um, where that would go. So, um, you know, as much as I, I, you know, would I love to go to a game now? Would I love to, you know, take, take my family to a game? Sure. Um, but just the timelines that you're getting from the leagues that are in the middle of this and trying to deal with it, they're, they're kind of pointing toward best case scenario, really the end of 2020, but they're definitely open to the, the understanding that it could be also 2021. Another question from Drink Iron City states, Dan, as a legal guy, do you see any fans trying to take the NFL to court if they can prove COVID-19 exposure by going to a game? Um, I like the term legal guy. I think I'm going to go with that. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a, it's important to note, right? Like in, in our country, you could sue anyone for anything. It's another question as to whether or not you can actually win that lawsuit. So, um, I did a lot of media, uh, Greg, right when the Rudy Gobert thing happened in, uh, in basketball, you know, if to the extent there was a, a breakout and let's say Rudy Gobert infected all, you know, Rudy Gobert, for those who don't know, he's a, he's on the, um, uh, he's on the Utah Jazz. He's a you know a big center. Yeah. The day before it came out that he had COVID, he was touching all these microphones, and I guess he was yes. he described as being careless in a locker room. So people ask, "Oh, careless? That sounds a lot like negligence. Uh, could you file a lawsuit against Rudy Gobert?" So the question is, yes, you could always file a lawsuit. But when it comes to COVID nineteen in particular and proving negligence, first you have to prove that someone was careless, which for Rudy Gobert he admitted he was. Now let's go back to the uh, NFL context. Um, you know, again. If you allow fans to come in, you're not necessarily being careless. You have to do it in a, in a reasonably safe way. But the question of whether or not is careless is kind of up for debate. Um, Rudy Gobert admitted that he was careless, so he didn't have that discussion there. Um, now, going back to Rudy Gobert, uh, 
what, what the harder part in terms of winning that lawsuit was proving something called causation, that Rudy Gobert's actions were the proximate cause, were the like direct cause of someone getting COVID-19. Um, and let's, in the Rudy Gobert context, how is someone logically going to prove that that and only that was the reason that they got COVID-19? Not the trip to Whole Foods, not the trip to CVS, not the trip to the McDonald's drive-through. It was that. Um, so causation is the very hard element for, you know, an athlete to prove and also for a fan to prove because in your daily life, just imagine all the different things. If I'm an attorney on the side, all the other things you're touching, you went to go to the mailbox, you went to walk your dog. Um, causation is going to be very hard to prove at the end of the day. Um, but that's the fear of these leagues that they'll just get hit with a bunch of lawsuits and have to spend the money to defend them. Even if they might win, there, there is a terrible PR that comes with even just getting hit with a lawsuit. And thank you very much for joining us on the SteelerNation.com podcast and SteelerNation.com vidcast, Dan. We really appreciate you taking your time out of your day because we took a lot of it. And I, I do appreciate it. So now you can add the Steeler Nation network to your list of other networks you've been in for a nationwide distribution. So thank you very much, Dan. My absolute pleasure. And if anyone wants to follow me again, I'm on Twitter at Sports Law Lust and also Instagram, Sports Law Lust. Perfect. Yes, I was going to state that as well. And you can say that it's at S-P-O-R-T-S-L-A-W-L-U-S-T on both Twitter and Instagram. Guys, follow, follow Dan. He knows his stuff. He really does. And he gets into a lot of topics and a lot of every single league. And he's in the know on all the main stuff that's happening. So it's really interesting to follow his Twitter and uh, his Instagram as well. So Steeler Nation, come on over to thestealernation.com for the best original Steeler news on the internet. Be sure to join us on our football forum for excellent football discussions. Also, you got to check out our gear page, guys, and I'm going to quickly show you how to navigate the gear page. And that is here. No, I just lost this one. Great. All right. No, I'm not. So that's the uh, <laughs> part of the technical difficulties of the first time doing a share screen on a vidcast. But we do appreciate it. Check out your the, the gear page for the best Steeler Nation tailgate wear. Be sure to subscribe to the Steeler Nation channel on YouTube so you can watch these vidcasts and podcasts live as they're happening. You can make some comments there in the comment section so you can ask questions as we're occurring. And thank you, as always, for joining us on your SteelerNation.com podcast. And the first SteelerNation.com vidcast, I'm your host, G Striker, with Dan Lust, rooting along with you, as always. Go Steelers! <laughs>